Nothing But Net Radio. I'm Edward Schuler, joined by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going, man? That is great, man. Just uh, having a having a great Sunday morning. Can't complain, really. Just uh, you know, I what I do every Sunday. Just relax, take it easy, and enjoy myself. And I'm honestly enjoying uh, the basketball that's been going on. Uh, we're finally in the finals. Uh, I think about a month ago, I had predicted it might be the Suns and the Bucks, just with everything was coming about. And uh, here we are. It's it's been a fun first two games. I want to say, uh, I I think people might be sending Milwaukee home a little bit too early right now. I think you know you look at the first two games. I think they've been pretty competitive, even without guys like Middleton and Holiday really stepping up where they're supposed to be. Now I think Middleton. It's maybe a little bit more person, a player that you can probably look at and say, I think he'll definitely, you know, be a lot better in in Milwaukee. Holiday has been just uh, like they traded like three first round picks for him. And he's not been any better than like a guy like Eric Bledsoe, who was a really big disappointment for them. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, as far as them uh, recovering and and making it a series again. But yeah, it's been fun watching that. Yeah, it's been a, For me, it's just been surreal that Phoenix hasn't made an NBA Finals since 1993, and now they're two games away from becoming NBA champions. The road to get there is uh, really crazy, and even crazier when you remember that the team they had with Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire with Mike D'Antoni as head coach, a team that played a big part, I think, in revolutionizing what the game is today. That team never made an NBA Finals. So it's it's always good to put the road there into perspective and just to see how far they came. And I don't think anyone believed when they got Chris Paul that they were going to be a championship contender. But here they are. And I, I agree with you. Milwaukee isn't out of it yet. But Phoenix has been the most complete and balanced lineup in the postseason, I think. So it, they're still going to have their hands full to, as of this recording uh, Sunday when they uh, face Milwaukee in game three. So it'll be interesting. Uh, do you think Milwaukee's going to take game three or do you think Phoenix goes up in the 3-0 lead, which is basically a death sentence? I, I think they can't. They they definitely, I think they'll make it a series, uh, Milwaukee will. Um, I, I think, again, it has to come down to a, middle, a guy like Middleton stepping up and I feel like if it's at home, uh, he will. Like Giannis has just been spectacular. He's mm-hmm. just been, you know, the Greek freak. He's been who he's always been. The yeah. guy's fearless. Like you, you think he's he's playing essentially on an injured knee, leg, and he's still out there just putting up forty, you know, fifteen rebounds. All these crazy numbers, even with his injuries. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that what he, he if he was fully healthy, you know what he would be doing. I, it's crazy to think that, but yeah, I, I definitely think Milwaukee makes it a series. Uh, I, I don't think they're. I mean, we've seen them throughout this entire playoffs, like look completely lost one or two games, and then all of a sudden they're back into the series, and then they, and they end up winning the series too. So I think, yeah, I think they'll make a series of it. They'll win today, I believe. I'll be pretty surprised if they go down 3-0. And I think it'll be exciting. It's like it's funny you brought up the last time the Suns were in the playoffs. You know, it's, it's, it had to do with the Bulls. Um, the Bulls uh, sent them home 
they got to the finals, but they were uh, defeated by our beloved. So maybe that's a sign of some sort we can try to think about. Maybe make it a stretch, but it could maybe be a sign that the Bulls are on their way. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, our favorite general manager in Bulls history, John Paxson, uh, played a big role in that. <laughs> and one of the things that's always been important in the postseason has been shot making. And in a time where every team knows what the other team is going to do, the equalizer is making tough shots off the dribble in isolation on pick and roll. We've seen that from Milwaukee with Chris Middleton. We've seen that from Phoenix with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And it it just continues to be the way that you win championships or you go really far in the postseason. So, Continuing off that, uh, we're talking to someone today who has been big in increasing the improvement in people's shots and mechanics and being able to get shooters where they need to be to be successful. So uh, we're going to introduce Roger Gala, who is a former four-year starter in Division Three at Juniata College, where he was second in career points. He was leader in the free throw percentage for a single game and season, and career, and he was an NBA prospect coming out of school and was scouted by the Seattle Supersonics, but since then, he has become a very renowned shot-making expert with the uh, Galo basketball shot-making method. So, we want to welcome Roger Galo to Bulls Gold. Roger, thank you for joining us today, man. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Roger, I think uh, reading your background and uh, your experience in, in basketball, uh, it's very fascinating. I love talking to um, people that have this this levels uh, of experience that you have. And I always like that. The game is is very great in that aspect. Like it brings around people of all backgrounds and all, of all ages and whatever have you. And, you know, you can really share that interest. And, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, our conversation today. Well, thank you, Celine. I appreciate that. And I always love somebody who's got that level of interest in it. Absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, Roger, let's start from let's start from uh, square one. How did you just fall in love with the game of basketball? Like, how did basketball become a really big part of your life? And did you ever think that it would always be this way, like years later? Uh, good question. And, and I like I like what the, the way you asked it, because that's, in fact, what I what happened to be in, in the fourth grade. I happened to be in Indiana. Um just outside of Fort Wayne. <laughs> and I, in the fourth grade, I remember picking up a ball at a YMCA and it wasn't my first few attempts, but at one point I made that ball and it was so beautiful where it flipped. It had that flipping of the net effect that we all love that became referred to as the swish, <laughs> right? the swish. And I thought, Oh my God, this is great. It was just such a, a feeling of like uh, astonishment. And at that moment, that moment, I fell in love with the game and I began watching and pl- playing it wh- at whatever level I could, which was you know, out, out at the playgrounds and at the YMCA's and what have you. And, and then watching it on television and uh, trying to become as good a player, knowing at that time 
I wanted to continue to play. And then learning very shortly thereafter that this ball, that little round thing, could help me go to college, uh, maybe free, could could take me all over the world, or at least all around the United States. I thought, wow, what a great, and, and maybe even make money doing it at some point in my life. Um, and, and all the accolades that, that come with that along the way. And that's what happened to me. I got, I got hit very hard by that. <laughs> and, and, the, and, and, uh, eventually ended up playing at school ball, uh, high school, uh, moved to Pennsylvania, played in Western Pennsylvania, which at one point was a hotbed of basketball talent back in the seventies in particular. And, uh, from there, you know, was recruited pretty heavily by mid majors, ended up at a D three school by choice. Um, and, uh, even by, by what some would consider a bad choice was contacted eventually by the NBA, Marty Blake to, uh, the Seattle supersonics at the time who had just won a world championship title. And, uh, Never expected. I, I thought I, I would become a pro ball player. Never did. Some of that was by virtue of bad decision making on my part, which I own. And uh, uh, I didn't think I'd ever play ball again until uh, I began watching it in a little differently through different eyes and understanding that, gee, at one time I could shoot pretty well. Uh, and watching these advanced athletes with advanced equipment, uh, specialists with with regards to their training, they've got core specialists, yoga instructors, nutritionists, blah, 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 blah. And, and not seeing the level of effectiveness from a shooting perspective as I had been accustomed to seeing previously. That, that really intrigued me. And that's what started this accidental journey, I call it, uh, that's been in the making about 12 or 13 years in trying to figure out why. Why was I so good? And could I have been even better? What came, what came into that? What, what helped me to become that kind of a scorer or a shooter? And that's what I'm doing currently. Still doing that. The journey isn't complete. Uh, every now and again, I'll, I'll make a discovery of sorts or have that aha moment. And I've been in the last 10 years, I've been able to uh, try to share that, those findings with those that I'm training, whether they're elementary level school kids, middle school, high school, college, professional, whatever the case, females, males, it, it didn't matter. It seems to be pretty transferable, that Galo shot making method. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you talked about that you're developing your own shooting me mechanism. Um, I was named the Galo system. Uh, what What are some like the special characteristics that you think that is helpful to a player and their shooting accuracy? Uh, what, as you're working with different players and, and and you know getting to know their their game and how they approach every day and practice and, and, and things like that. Yeah, so some of it, and this is going to sound very vague, but it's an extremely important part of it. And I, I can apply to a couple current NBA players today at some point if we have that opportunity. Um, we, I grew up, as did most of us, buying wholeheartedly and blindly 
into whatever we were told to do to become great shooters. Uh, and, and most of that, I mean, this, this, you can argue the, the percentage, but I'm going to say 80 to 85% of that was predicated and focused on repetition, repetition, repetition. And that becomes a mindless process, almost thoughtless. You pick that up, that round thing, and you launch it. And you keep launching it. Now, kind of like I did when I first fell in love as a fourth grader. I picked that ball up and just kept tossing it <laughs> until it went in. <laughs> and then when I got lucky enough that it went in, I continued. It. That motivated me to keep launching it, tossing it, throwing it, heaving it uh, before I began stroking it. Yeah, meaning that I eventually it kind of evolved into being able to shoot it. And within that context, a form developed, the, the, the making of mechanics or the coming together of mechanical movements, uh, none of which I ever questioned when I, I spoke to a coach who was older and more seasoned and obviously knew what I was supposed to be doing to become better, so I thought, and I would listen intently and I would go practice via repetition, repetition, repetition. Not necessarily thinking real carefully and precisely about those repetitions, but just putting them up because I was being told you need to go out and put up 300 shots a day, 400 shots a day. Five, I used to hear about 500 shots a day. That's a lot of shooting. Yeah. And how, how much, think about this, as a kid or as an adult for that matter, uh, and I can say this pretty confidently. At what number do you fall victim to that mindlessness part? Is it number 28? Is it number 37? Is it number 155? And I would argue vehemently that it happens far earlier than we'd like to admit, meaning that we're not we're going into a mindless physical execution of movement. And that's not valuable at all. It actually may be damaging. And that's what I've, this, this journey has opened my eyes to. So let, let's, let's continue off of that because the, the mental part of developing as a shooter, I feel like, is really, really, really important. And we see it at each level in terms of uh, D1, NBA, where there are players who maybe are like a little hesitant to shoot or it, it, and they don't really do it during the games, but you always hear about them doing it in practices. Like I remember when uh, Dwight Howard, I think was with the Lakers and he had like a board up and how many free throws he would make during practice and he would make like a ridiculous amount of them at like 90%, but then he goes in the games and it's just at 50, 60, like it's not very, you know, it's not very good, but tell me about how you conquer that mental aspect of it. Is there a point where if you really don't conquer that mental aspect of becoming a shooter towards maybe like your late twenties, whatever, 
that you're just kind of stuck? Or is there really ever a point where you can actually overcome that? Well, that's a very good question. And, and uh, that's a great piece of historical reference that you made regarding that board. And I remember that. And I was astounded to learn of it, very frankly. And, and uh, it, it's just a, another case in point uh, uh, to, to what I was referring to earlier. And it, that he got into a um, sequence of shot attempts regularly, apparently, and he did it from a very comfortable place uh, under very comfortable conditions. And I would argue that he probably wasn't as, as mindful as he needs or needed to be. Uh, and I, that I witness every day, even during this, this series of players. Uh, I mean, does does he actually forget how to shoot when game time comes around? Does he forget what he was doing just a few days earlier in that environment in which he was operating so successfully? The short answer, probably not. Then, then does that speak to the unreliability factor that I've discovered in this journey? the unreliability factor of the traditional movements that we've all bought into. Uh, and I, when I say we all, I mean about 90 plus percent of basketball players were taught the same traditional base system that I had ap apparently mastered at some point. Um, you know, hence the excitement over me or the interest in me going on to play ball from others, whether it be college or, or professionally or whatever. But my, my point is those mechanics are that unreliable that they may have failed him mm. with a little bit of external pressure or a lot of external pressure or, or can be argued both ways. Why do I say that? Because we're not talking about his first game ever. We're talking about game after game after game after game after week after month after year after, right? Where he was challenged to perform there. So it, 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 how much of all those rent and that board had a lot of numbers on there, Ed. Yeah. Would you agree? <laughs> <laughs> it did, yeah. A lot yeah. of numbers. Yeah. Uh, the repetition, repetition, repetition. And he, he grooved himself. But did he groove himself with, A, the right mechanics that were could have been or may have been more reliable, hence more repeatable, hence more trustworthy, hence my confidence internally is buttressed. Mm. It's at a higher level because I know it doesn't escape me during those uh, those times that we're we're talking about yeah. those pressurized situations that it doesn't escape me and it's some of that because of the mechanics being a little more reliable and i would argue again vehemently yeah that's a big part of it and i grew up on those mechanics um to, and now i've got that frame of reference and this frame of reference to to compare the two and i, I mean i, I don't want the, i don't want the 
the, the pl- young players who are maybe listening to this take take this the wrong way because they do have to practice and repetitions is a part of it, maybe far fewer, but I don't need to practice. I own those movements and those that I train seem to become owners of those movements faster, more confidently, uh, with far fewer repetitions because of the, the seamlessness, maybe the combination of them being biomechanically easier, more stable. Um, you know that if we get into that, fine. If we're not, fine. But that 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 level of movement can sometimes quiet the mind, free it, rather than put it in a darker, less confident place in oneself as they're trying to perform under pressure. Does that make sense on the on the surface? I I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. it does. It yeah. does. It does. If it. it, it and, and and kind of sticking with the mechanics aspect of shooting, um, in, in your mind, how in your experience, actually not in your mind, in your experience, how difficult is it for a player to kind of change his mechanics when once they've been doing it for their entire career at going into college and even into the pros? Um, I'll give you a little answer, though, not necessarily related to basketball, but. Uh, just ha- my hand movement. It's, it's a funny answer, though. But uh, like I used to play, I used to bowl a lot when I was growing up, like in high school and stuff like that. And the way I used to move my hand normally, when you're right-handed and you're trying to curve the ball, you kind of rotate the ball to the left. Um, mine would always go to the right, and my hand movement just automatically would go there and. For the longest time, I I tried very hard to change that hand movement, and I got to a point where I did get better and not automatically going there. But randomly nowadays, when I go just for fun to play a bowling game or anything like that, I'll notice my hand going the other direction. And I say that because I realize, like, the brain is a very powerful tool, right? It, it, It just the motion, the hand motion, the feel of how you approach you know, certain movements, it, it sticks with you and it can be grueling to change, to, to, to kind of train your brain to change that. And in your experience, how have you noticed that with players changing their sh- mechanics on their shot? Um, and another guy, I'll use an example, is a guy like Lonzo Vall. When he came into the league, his shot was completely different now than what it, like, completely different than what it is now. Like, he's completely changed that. And it's been, it's been fascinating to see as far as how, better his mechanics have become and that he's actually become a, a reliable uh, as at least even a catch and shoot shooter. Uh, great, great question. I love the, this story too. Uh, and, and it brings up some interesting things. Uh, one, I have found it to be uh, almost unbelievably simple with most. I, I mean, unbelievably simpler than I ever anticipated because of my conventional upbringing. My, when you talk to somebody in basketball, it's, hey, he's in high school. It's too late. He's in college. It's too late. Those, those habits are too embedded. My God, you would never want to change somebody, right? I grew up with that mentality. The, the, here's what's happening. The dynamics are a little different with regards to your, your story. If you're trying to, like, 
you did. You're trying to make that adjustment that you became aware of and you thought would serve you better, which was very astute. And you know, kudos to you for doing that. But that's harder to do than having somebody who might know more about what's at work making that happen. Does that make sense, Celine? That yeah. you're trying to do it all of your on your own. And even if you latched onto something that might have been very valuable, if it failed you two weeks later, you're probably going to let it escape. And it might have been something very, very big and valuable and important and needed to become more permanent. But you moved on to something else because it failed you at that one particular point in time. Uh, Golfers are very commonly doing that from my understanding um, the, the movement, the movement that you referred to on that bowling ball is a movement that coincidentally is coming from of all your movements in bowling. And this is true with basketball, basketball shooting from the weakest, most unreliable part of your body. To begin with, the hand from the wrist to the fingertips. Let me repeat that. From the focus, your focus was from the wrist to the end of the fingers. Right. On making that ball, turning your hand leftward instead of rightward. And it's not a very good focus area because of this finickiness, it's whimsicalness. And and believe it or not, that's where most of the focus has been for the last 50 or 60 years on, on our shooting technique, the traditional shooting technique. And I've, by, by virtue of this journey, I've come to realize that that's probably the area you want to take more responsibility away from. Well, that's, that contradicts what we've grown up learning and focusing most of our practice when, we, when it comes to shooting on has been on that release, that wrist action, that follow through, right? And, and, and yet, by virtue of going to the professors of physics, uh, biomechanics, uh, I've come to learn that that's not a good area to place that much emphasis on to begin with. If you want to make an impactful, reliable change. And by doing that, it might become an easier change by virtue of redirecting the responsibility. Let me, let me ask you this. The, the game of basketball has evolved a lot in the last five, six or seven years, the way the way players shoot, I think foundationally is the same, but we've seen a lot of players come into the league now and the, I won't say trend anymore because I think it's here to stay, but a lot of people are taking shots further away from the basket than what we're normally accustomed to seeing. So we see a lot of players taking 28, 27, 26 footers, uh, 
players who are being guarded from damn near half court. And it's it's kind of a Stephen Curry effect. So we see Steph Curry, Trey Young, Damian Lillard, uh Devin Booker, even uh, Zach Levine has been doing it more, but it's it's a lot of players who are taking that those type of pull up shots and those shots off pick and roll. So my question to you is when you are working with uh, players on their shot, how are you working? Like, like what is your approach now that the game has shifted this way where players want to add this aspect to their game? Like, how do you approach that with them? Yeah, great question. Um, and, and I love it for, for a lot of reasons that may come out in, in my response. And, and, and so, Salim, um, first of all, about 10 years ago, I began becoming a very strong advocate of emphasizing the two easiest shot, yet most important shots of the game 10 years ago at least, maybe 11. Anyway, what shots are they? The easiest, simple shot of all, of all time will remain that way unless they change it drastically. The foul yeah. shot. Foul, yeah. The game stops. You get 10 seconds. Before you get the ball in your hands, you get 10 seconds to shoot. You can collect your thoughts, do whatever, blah, 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 blah. And you take a totally uncontested shot. The second least contested shot in the game that I was promoting that far back before Steph awakened the world to it, or, or, yeah, he did it before Damien, of course, was the long ball. The longer, the better. Why? Because there's only one defender. There's not a secondary or a thirdary defender out there that far from the hoop. And it, all you need is uh, 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 the, the space of a, a double blink to pull the trigger against that one defender. By the way, that one defender is most likely not bodying you up 26, 27, 28 feet from the basket. They're back in a, the, the standard uh, defensive stance. Right. Yeah. Shuffling, trying to stay with you, trying to make sure you don't shoot in a crouched position. Is Steph Curry taking that or any of those guys today? Are they taking contested? I mean, bona fidely contested three point shots from that distance. I would argue, no. No, they aren't nor are college players for that matter. The coaches would probably pull that player out of the game if he took a really contested three-pointer that far out because it would that would be deemed a bad shot. But he, I, the reason I promoted it that far back was because I'm promoting as an extended foul shot. What are you adding to it? A jump. That's all we're adding to that. If it's that pre precisely connected as it should be based on my shot making system to the foul shot mechanically. If it's truly that connected, then why are we complacent with such low 
three-point shooting percentages. Why shouldn't they be in the upper 40s? Maybe exceed 50s. Maybe even broach 60%. I mean, exactly. If they're, if they're really that uncontested. Mm. I mean, is that conceivable? Well, Zach Levine, uh, during the season, was shooting for a good while, was shooting between like 43 and 44% from three at high <laughs> volume, which is insane to think about. And even crazier when you, you know, he he did he doesn't really have he didn't have a lot of guys taking away defensive attention from him. So he's taking a lot of yeah. shots off the dribble. Like he's not getting a ton of open shots. He takes a lot of difficult shots, but he's become what? one of the best in the league at making them. So it's it's stuff like that that to your point, it, it could realistically be there. What uh, and I'm glad you mentioned him. How tall is Zach Levine? Um, He's about six five. Six um, five, and, six six. And 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 before uh, before uh, uh, we get into it, I just want to 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 kind of iterate, reiterate Zach, uh, Ed's uh, point about Zach's shot quality as far as a, a defender on him. Um, B ball index. I'm I'm not, I'm not sure if you heard of them, uh, Roger. They do a lot of uh, tracking on on players' uh, stats and advanced stats, and they track how. One of the things they track is how open they are when they're shooting. Hmm. Um, Zach, great. As far as his three-point shooting is concerned, he grades out top-notch, like in the 90th, 90th percentile on most of his shooting. Um, but his openness rating, meaning how often he was open, yeah. is basically one of the worst, like F. He gets an F because he's hounded all game. And even with being hounded all game, you see his shooting is still absolutely elite. Um, and he's actually developed it because when you look at the season for last in comparison, I had, had sent a tweet out um, showing that it like he was he was good still the season before last uh, with the same level of openness as far as being defended really well. But he did improve this season compared to the season before last. But yeah, it just kind of showed you to your point. I know you made a point on, on certain shots. You're not defended that well, but Zach and in, in his and Zach himself, for the most part, he takes a lot of difficult shots where a defender is right on on him for the most part. I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you shared that with me because um, it is another to me. It's another case in point. Taking an off the dribble shot is more difficult. I think we all agree, obviously, no, than, a sure. than a catch shoot, than a catch shoot, a for wide sure. open shot. Um, that's the second easiest shot. The wide open catch and shoot, boom. Uh, for some players. The, by the way, this journey has enlightened me in that I've recognized there are a vast number, and I was an offensive machine so, to some degree, obviously, third in the country, but at one point, blah, blah, blah. Um, I took a lot of difficult shots that I put myself, I placed myself into not knowing there were other ways of avoiding that. Now I know of other ways of avoiding that. And even with the Zach Levine, uh, for me, it'd be fun to work with because he's got still inefficiencies within his game that would raise, by virtue of just recognizing them and exploiting them, 
and he can't do that without knowing what they are, but his percentage would be impacted positively. It would it would increase. By the way, gentlemen, um, the the three ball was introduced in college in 1986-87. Do you know in 1988-80, I think it was 87-88 season. I could be wrong about the year, but it was it was within one or two years. The, 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 there was a player who led the NCAA, having met the required number of shots taken in order to be recorded, uh, led the nation from NCAA Division I basketball, men's basketball. Do you know what his shooting percentage was from the three-point line? 63%. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, I think the three of us would agree, and those listening, he probably wasn't taking a lot of shots like Zach Levine mm. because yeah. that, that would be extraordinary. But it, what, what type of shot was he taking then? Probably the next second least contested shot to the foul shot in the game of basketball that can be created by virtue of screens, right? <laughs> Good passing. And he, wow, wait a second, 63%. And how much time did he have in advance to practice to become that effective? Well, not very much. <laughs> and that was what 40, that, that 35, 40, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and has anybody eclipsed that? Not even come close. Uh, but it's interesting because we've got guys who shoot and they exist on the Bulls and they exist on other teams as well. 90 something percent from the foul line and they shoot a woeful 30 something percent from the three. Wait, they've got some, what appeared to be some very good, reliable mechanics, whatever they may be, going on at the foul line but they don't transfer out away from the basket. Interesting. I think that was at one point, uh, like in, I guess maybe amateur scouting days, like we both used to post on real GM for a while. And I always remember reading, you know, analysis of people who I, you know, I value their opinion of, and I think they are better at understanding like the, intricacies of basketball more than I do but I think one of the common uh things about uh scouting players was free throw percentage represented a really good chance that a player had upside as a shooter so if a player shot maybe 80 84 percent from free throw line in college but you know they were only maybe a 30 31 percent shooter from three in college it was okay they, they have a lot of upside as a shooter like they're a better shooter than they've shown decent mechanics they're making the free throw shot so by stocking them so is that are you saying that's kind of not something you would buy or oh no i'm saying that that's a, that's another great case in point ed yeah. um why couldn't why can't that gap be closed and I would argue uh, very strongly that that gap can, should be hmm. closable, uh, reducible, and, and probably a lot more quickly than we have conventionally been 
just accepting of, uh, well, um, you wouldn't wouldn't want to do that during the season, right? That's taboo. You never work with a shooter on a shot during the season. And I would argue that strongly too, because depending on other circumstances, it might be, what's he doing during the season? He's working on it anyway, but he's not improving. So he's getting better at doing whatever it is that's preventing him from improving. And is that worsening it? Is it deepening it? Is it solidifying it in some way? Yeah, prop most likely. Well, then that you're just delaying the inevitable if that's a desired effect or a desired growth that they'd like to experience. Now, to your point, though, those mechanics, uh, those are the mechanics. That's what I'm talking about when I refer to that 30-foot shot as an extended foul shot. If those mechanics are that sound and that repeatable, apparently, to, to, to elicit those kinds of numbers, then I, I would, I would, I'd be all in on trying to get their three-ball shooting percentage higher because they've already shown a propensity to, to, to be able to do that. So let me so let me throw this in there too. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is a player who uh, was on the Bulls for a few seasons, and uh, again, going back to a point about players who have uh, you know pretty decent college shooting numbers, he was a about seventy four percent free throw shooter in college. I forget his three point percentage, but his form looked good, and it seemed like he had a lot of upside as a shooter. He comes to the NBA. And he's not really taking the perimeter shot much. He passes up a lot of open shots, but he still shoots 74%, uh, percent, I believe, from free throw, from the free throw line for his career so far in the NBA. So uh, when you, when you see players in the NBA like that, especially young players who are coming into the league and they seem all right as shooters and there's upside there, but they're not taking the shot and their mechanics seem decent. What are your thoughts on that? Like in, I don't know if you're familiar with Wendell Carter Jr.'s career so far or how much you've seen, but just like, can you just give me some perspective on, I guess, his transition as a shooter or someone or something similar, I guess? What one of the things to overcome that has to come from within a player's uh, development Ed, is that they've, they know. It's kind of like, have you guys ever, during college, during high school, anytime you, you had to prepare for a test and you either chose to really prepare to the best that you could, knowing that test is coming up and that you want to do as well as you possibly can and you going into it, how do you feel? Well, if you've done all the necessary prep work and studying, you're likely to feel pretty confident, aren't you? Yeah. Bring it on. And what, when you come out and I go, hey, Ed, how'd you do on the test? Hey, Salim, how'd you do on the test? You're probably responding pretty positively. Now, if you're Wenzel, hey, he's not studying. I'm going to wait. I got I got a lot of time. I can wait. I can put it off. I can, I can study the night before. I can... And and then he 
Do you think he's really looking forward to taking that test when that this is it, the final hour? He's studying. He put it off. He should have. He didn't. But now he's doing it. Now he's cramming and he's <laughs> he's going in there. I would. Boy, I wish I had another week. But too late. The test is. Hey, how'd you do? Probably a different response. Would you agree? Yeah. And and that's a mind that that's part of the thought process that is likely to be present. I trained a player from the Philadelphia area who at six, what was six, seven, uh, Igadala Rodney Carney athleticism, very prominent high school out in Philadelphia, Catholic league player of the year, defensive player of the year, went on to play D one ball. I, when I was signing up to, to train him, I went to see his game. He, he was at 16 feet. That's a foot beyond the foul line. The defender was in the arc down below near the basket, defending him. He received a pass from a perimeter guard. He did not even turn around to see where the defender was. Do you think he took that shot? No. <laughs> he didn't even turn around. He had a half of a turn, opted not to complete it, and dished the ball back out to the player <laughs> from which it came. Why didn't he? Because he can't shoot. I mean, this kid could, he, by the way, I won't mention his name, obviously, but he was a 37% foul shooter. Do you think his coaches are urging him to shoot? No. No. What, what does that do to your confidence? And, and you guys could probably imagine, as I can, what practice must be like for someone over four years when you're not, when you're now at the point where as a senior, you're not even turning around to look at the ball, to look at the hoop rather. Um, that's, that becomes a real confidence issue. And, and you begin to question your shot. What should I take it? Shouldn't I take it? I'm going to be working with a young lady from the WNBA in the next couple of weeks during break. She admitted that to her, to me, that, that, that exact same dynamic. I said, well, we're going to fix that during the time, just during the time you're with me, we're going to fix that uh, uh, unless there's something else going on. But that, that confidence has to be there. And that confidence is something that I, through, through my experience, frankly, in some way, and I can't address this too deeply, in some way seems to be mitigated through the process, through my developmental process. Now, I, I say that only because I'm very big into mindfulness and I'm bit very obviously very big into all the scientific principles that I'm introducing. 
that support why I'm having you make the changes in mechanics that I'm asking someone to make. And if there's science to back the reason why you should be there doing this instead of what we were maybe taught to do, um, that kind of, it, it seems to be feeding the confidence. It's, it's like fueling it. And, and, and that becomes, I mean, it becomes very apparent to me during the process that I'm training somebody uh, while I'm training someone. But I, I think that's a reality. Uh, and that can be that can be impactful in a very measurable way, sometimes in a very uh, just mind boggling speed, uh, shortness of time, uh, reduction of repetitions. And I, it's almost so uh, it's hard for me to believe at times. And, and I know that all, all that goes into it to make it that valuable and that easy to replicate and master to some degree. But it's hard. It's, it's sometimes even hard for me to believe it because I grew up as a pure. I'm a purist, by the way. I am a purist when it comes to basketball. But there are a lot of things that I've identified that are just not even recognized yet by some of the most brilliant minds in basketball, far more brilliant than in my mind. But we, we kind of become comfortable. And, and so, you know, a lot of what we look, look at the various Alonzo Ball. But by the way, kudos to, to Fred Vincent, who's worked a lot with him um, and, and has impacted that. Uh, but but I'll, I'll, if I may, I'll, I'll quickly. Divert to that element. Sometimes the the bigger the break in someone's shot, the faster and the easier the overhaul can be. Believe it or not, uh, it, it's just a dynamic I've seen at work far too many times over the last decade. To, to not to not respect that uh, and, and realize it does exist. Somebody like Alonzo's whose shot was that broken. And, and by the way, I would I would venture to say, and this is maybe not what I should be saying on a podcast like this, but uh, Trey Young, he that's not exactly a traditional shooting technique, and. And, and hence, his 30-something percent from three ball, when he's taking pretty wide open shots, could be much higher, but not with the, those existing mechanics. And that's kind of what was happening with what has happened. We're now witnessing. Uh, we may not understand what's gone into it, but we're witnessing with, with Alonzo Ball, as you just alluded to. Wow, what a difference. Yeah. And sometimes some structure, some, when there was none, is better and can be pretty impactful, by the way. It, it doesn't even have to be the Galo shot making system. It can be almost anything, but it's been introduced and there's been buy-in and it's working. Hundred um, percent. One thing I'd love to get your thoughts on is I, I don't know how much you've followed what the Bulls have been doing over the past, you know, couple this past season, and just some of the things they've done as far as moves they've made. 
and and particularly some of the players they have, and particularly a guy like Pat Williams, who coming into the league it wasn't necessarily fully developed yet, and and what he could do with I think his shooting mechanics on on certain type of shots uh, is still developing. I think he's more of a catch and shoot, a stationary shooter right now, and maybe still developing as a uh, pull up shooter, someone off the dribble, or or or, or what have you. Uh, what have you seen in his game that, as far as mechanics go, and his potential that he could maybe reach to as well that you could probably expect from him? Well, uh, the the fact that he's improved as he has is is real gratifying in a lot of ways, or, or at least reassuring to me that he has more upside. No question about it. Uh, his mechanics have become better mechanics, better movements. Um, I like to refer to myself as a dynamicist, which is a word I didn't even know (laughs) what it meant. But it simply means I study movements. And his movements have improved, much like an Alonzo Ball's movements have improved. And with that will come confidence. With that will will come uh, an evolution of his shooting his shooting ability, not only in terms of mechanics and movements, but in terms of the vast array of shots he'll he'll likely be able to take later on. Um, you know, like you said, he's a cat, more of a catch and shoot, and he he feels more comfortable with that. I think that's apparent. But eventually, he'll. You'd like to think that that will evolve into an off the dribble ability. Uh, not, but now I and I I. I, I follow them. I follow them. I'm following them a little more now, the Bulls, because I think they're moving in the right direction, obviously. Um, two years ago, I, I didn't have that sense at all. Um, not at all. But they are moving in the right direction. But let's, let's for example, let's compare him to a, a Kobe White, just statistically. And I, I do that for this reason. Uh Patrick Williams is shooting about 73% from the foul line. He's 39% from the three. And he's a guy who's being transformed a little bit as a shooter. Agreed? Yeah. Kobe White yeah. is a 90% foul shooter and shooting 36%. But that, 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 oh, sorry. Go ahead. That gap that I referred to earlier can can that be can that be closed? I mean, that's a fifty that that's a small gap between the foul shooting and the three ball with Patrick Williams, and a bigger gap between Kobe White's ninety and thirty six. And I do. I do think it's about the difficulties of the shot too, because the type of shots Kobe takes is not is not necessarily stationary. A lot, his catch and shoot shooting is a lot better uh, because right now Pat compared to Kobe, Pat mostly like I said, his stationary threes. It's a lot of catch and shoot, uh, which is like robotic in a sense because he's saying he's taking the the the, the old shot, set shot uh, compared to Kobe, who does a lot of shooting more so after dribble. So I think that plays into it as well. And it does. It, it absolutely does. So I'm great point. But let me throw these out to you. Just 
interesting to me. The Bulls at home, they shoot 46.9% from the field. The Bulls on the road shoot 48.2%. Wait, they shoot better on the road than they shoot at home. Interesting. Uh, the, the Bulls shooting percentage from the three ball is 37%. The Bulls shooting percentage from the three ball on the road is 36.6. Minuscule. Uh, the foul shooting, and then I'll get back to the to the, the two players we just talked about. 79.5% from home, 78.7% on the road. Foul shooting. Now, can those numbers be impacted without shooting improvement from either these two players or maybe other players on the roster that get significant minutes by virtue of redirecting or having them um, buy into how, what if Kobe took more catch-and-shoot shots? Could he be put in that situation? Would he shoot? Would you, do, you, do you two gentlemen think he could shoot better? A higher percentage, but by better, that's one. Kobe, certainly. And I think shot selection comes into play, too. And and very, very big. Yes. I'm yes. Just, I'm just, I don't know. Uh, I I think Kobe can definitely shoot better, but yeah, I agree with Salim. I think shot selection plays a role, and I think his role on the team plays a role in that too. I feel like if he is a player who is more of a uh, like tertiary or like more of a fourth option, a guy who can just pick his spots when it's there as opposed to a guy who you're relying on heavily to score, then I think he can become an efficient player. I think if he's in a, a really large catch and shoot role with picking his spots, I think he could become a very efficient shooter. And I think he would very much increase his value as a player. But yeah, I guess it really just depends on role for a lot of these guys. Uh, some players in the NBA, you don't really want them as a high volume guy. You just want them kind of you know, in between, like you just want them to be complimentary. Like Reggie Jackson seems pretty valuable in the role he is right now uh, with the Clippers and was showing really good value in the postseason. But I wouldn't want Reggie Va- uh, Jackson, you know, being my second guy on offense or something, you know. And, and wh- why Why usually is that? Uh, what goes into the thought process of that? And, and you know, let's play, Ed, play coach. Hmm. What, what Reggie, I don't want you to. Well, we're, we're talking to Reggie, who's probably not shooting 48% from the three ball. Fair? Yeah. I mean, that, that's some of what goes into that process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, would you would you gentlemen agree that you – and if you, it'll be fun to watch tonight's game especially. And I kind of agree with you, Salim. I heard you earlier comment about I, I really think they're going to come back tonight um, and, and prove that they can win. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to that. But um, have you? You guys will see if you watch closely, as you do, 
you'll see guys, and I know you've noticed it in the past. Maybe it hasn't been highlighted to the degree I'm going to highlight it. But have you seen players that aren't catching shoot? They're off the dribble shooters, but they caught the pass. They're facing the basket. They're wide open. They pass that shot up to become, to take their off the dribble shot instead. Hmm. Well, was that a wise move? I don't think was so. Was that a better shot than the, the shot that they're about to take under more duress, under a closer, closed out, bodied up defender? I don't, I don't think so because it, it's going to require more reacting. Whereas if someone just passes you the ball and you just go into your emotion, it's simple. Like you're not, you might not even think about it. You're open. You go into your emotion. If you make it great or if you miss it, I mean, it's not still wasn't a bad shot. And if you right. make it, that's what you want. Those are the type of shots you want. If you pass it up and you dribble into a mid range shot, then I mean, not only are you losing a point, but you're also thinking more and you're allowing the defense to adjust more to you. So then it, I feel like the quality of shot is going to vary in that case. Beautifully stated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that happens, that happens a lot, even at the highest level of basketball that exists in the world. And that's part of the, I would argue that that should be part of the evolution of a player. Uh, and by the way, the benefit will not only be to the player, but it will transcend the player and permeate into the team, the success of the team. It, it will help them score more regularly, more at a higher level of efficiency. And, and those, but those are the, the dynamics that I see that are far too present um, that that could help an organization that could help a player either gain confidence or become a better shooting player. And this game, as you alluded to earlier, Ed, is man, has it evolved to that? I mean, look at the numbers of three balls that are being launched, the rate at which they're being launched. It's incredible. Yeah. It's a, and I'm a, I said, I was a purist. I'm, I'm a strong <laughs> advocate of it only because if it's that unguarded, I don't have to worry about help defense. I break somebody down 25 feet, 28 feet from the basket. I'm launching a wide open jumper. Yeah. And that's a good shot. It's a good way to take. Or a good shooter. It's a good way to take the big man away from the play, which I think is what oh, you huge. want. Yeah. And that's kind of what you look back at like 90s basketball. A lot of the game was going to the basket and taking contact from 6'9", <laughs> 6'10", big man got like Charles Oakley and Patrick Ewan, Michael Jordan going to the hoop against Robin and Lane Beer. And you imagine now if, you know, not to overly hype Michael Jordan because who needs it, but imagine now if Michael Jordan was just able to go pick and roll, you know, 28 feet from the basket and against like drop coverage or something like that. I mean... How do you guard that? <laughs> hearing, hearing you say that just triggered a thought I had never had before. But my game was a little bit like a um, 
I was very flashy. I was a good ball handler, had moves. Yeah, we used to say more moves than X wax. (laughs) But I was I I loved Pete Maravich. So I'd go between my legs, behind my back, under a leg, left hand scoop, falling down, right? I'd throw anything. I never took the ball to the floor with me. If I was being knocked down, pushed, cracked in the head, it didn't catch in an elbow, shoved, whatever. That ball was going up towards the hoop. Now, with that being said, this is my if if I had been playing during this period, I'm not so sure I would have been able to finish and have the moves, nor would would have been motivated to have them that I did because of the era, the way we were, we were, the, the mantra then was take it to the rim, take it to the rim. Well, six feet short <laughs> <laughs> and limited hops. How did I take it to the rim so effectively? Uh, and would I want to against today's ball players and size and strength and level of it? Man, probably not if that three ball was available and it's so much easier and I'm less likely to get hurt out there <laughs> than yeah. in there. Why not? Yeah. It's like if you look at Trey Young, for example, how much contact does Trey Young really take? I, I, love I love it. I love where you're going, Ed. <laughs> how much, like, I'm, I'm not saying that he doesn't get touched, but Trey Young doesn't really have a lot of like big collisions, or he doesn't he doesn't have to absorb contact from six nine, six ten guys. He doesn't he doesn't have to even really do that. I mean, even look at uh, for Derrick Rose in his prime, he was going oh, yeah. to the rim a lot, and I, I think Rose's saving grace was that. He was all time good, perhaps even the best that I've seen at being able to contort his body around bigs at the basket. He was incredible. Yeah, but he doesn't have to, you don't have to do that anymore if you can shoot from distance. If you you can shoot from distance, you don't have to do that. But even when you're going to the rim now, you're facing guys who are going to be smaller, I think, these days, or guys who are not as, you know, prepared for contact these days. So it's. It definitely has – I do feel like the game definitely has evolved to a point where there is more finesse than ever and the days of bulking up so you can be like this 6'6", 225 guy or whatever, chiseled, it, you don't really need it. Like this – Trey Young doesn't really need to lift weights. Kevin Durant didn't exactly really right. lift weight. Like it's not that type of game anymore. You're you're dead on and, and to that point – uh, I remember jumping in front of AI a couple years before he left the game. And I finally got in front of him uh, and said to him pretty much what you're, you're, you're highlighting here. AI, how would you like to increase your longevity in the game? Stop abusing your body, being able to watch threes from out there. Uh, avoid all the abuse and, the, and the, the physicality that you've absorbed so many years, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it never happened. But that was the that was the focus of my conversation with him because it's a reality. Uh, Steph Curry, the, the guy's a genius in this regard. He comes over midcourt. His eyes are already sighting the target. Mm. And, and, and defenders now are fully aware of his range. But he still knows they're crouched. They're too, too, too many feet beyond, away from him. They don't know when he's pulling the trigger. Only he knows that. So he has a huge advantage. Now, when he launches from 30 feet out, 
How far back does he have to go to, to be back on D? Not far. He's not going 94 feet. He's going a third of the court. A third of the court in an 82-game NBA season, excluding postseason games, over a career of, what, 10, 12, 14? What, what could be that? Well, he's reduced the, the, wear, the load that everybody is talking about how, my God, we got to protect these players. Yet we got to make sure they're ready for the next game, that we're not burning them out physically, right? Overexposing them. Look at, he's playing a third of the games in every season because of the way he plays. And like Trey, he's not, yeah, he's going to get contacted, but it's a different level of contact from a smaller body generally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, wow, that's impactful. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 fascinating to see some of these guys um, use different tech techniques and and the levels of success they've gotten to. Yeah, it really is, and and uh, I I think I think that uh, the, the analytics are such now that yeah, eventually what I'm what I'm saying. Is and, and it may already be out there. I just am not aware of it, like you um, highlighted with regards to that that website mm. that studies the distances. Sometimes uh, I would argue, I would argue that we're going we're going to see in the next five years where there are going to be shooters that will launch at a higher clip, percentage wise, more efficiently from a further out distance than they do when they're five feet closer or seven feet closer, uh, even beyond the three. If they're that much closer where the defender is more likely to be more close to them, um, you're going to see those numbers be borne out through the analytics that it's, 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 it's the second least contested open shot that we should be taking in the game of basketball. Mm. And that's going to remain for a long time. We may be nearing that period where we see a four-point line. Um, you know, I, or a widening, I don't know, are they going to widen the court? That's something uh, Mark Cuban has, uh, I think, in the past uh, brought up, like, casually. Or it, it was either oh, Mark Cuban or someone else. I thought there, were, there was an owner or somebody notable, I think, brought up the idea of a four-point line. I, I can't see it happening, but, I mean, I – it, it will be interesting. I mean, I feel like the closest we're going to get is the Ruffles uh, four-point line in the celebrity basketball game. But yes, uh, it, yes. it feels very uh, it feels very MTV rock and jock when they had like the like they had all the different lines and then they had the uh, baskets on top of the baskets, like where you could get the, the 12 point. <laughs> The twelve foot shot and the fourteen foot shot, and I, I don't know. It, it's it's just interesting seeing it play out because I, I don't think anyone really ever imagined the game evolving to this point where a player had to be guarded when they crossed half court or when they're just still standing on the logo. Yeah, it, it's it's really it's really surreal. Yeah, and uh, it will be interesting to see where it goes yeah. in the next five to ten years. It really will be. I, I think we're going to – well, we're, I'm already seeing a lot of young youth ball players who are being um, encouraged to take 
a 23 foot shot. Mm. I mean, these kids are 12 years old. They're airballing. And the, 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 the reverberations are a terrible shot. What are you doing? No, it's <laughs> nice shot. Nice shot, Johnny. Nice shot. <laughs> it was an airball, but he was wide open. It was a good shot. He just isn't strong enough or big enough or gifted, uh, trained enough to make them yet. But wow, that when did that happen? Well, I've been noticing that in the last five years. And that's, you know, that's a sign of the things to come. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of room for improvement yet, even at the foul line that we were talking about. So, you know, Giannis, uh, you know, I, I was up in preparation for this podcast. I thought I'd look at Giannis's numbers. Um, the guy shot 77% earlier in his career from the three ball, uh, from the uh, foul line. Mm. What, what happened? I mean, he's, he's had a dip. Uh, terribly big? No, not terribly big. Uh, wait, is it a bigger dip under more dur- duress? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think we're seeing that with Ben Simmons, especially highlighting that. My God, I haven't seen somebody struggle like that. I probably have to go back to like Ben uh, Ben Wallace, somebody who was that challenged from the foul line. But there are such so many little things that can be done at the foul line that, you know, the, 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 the chant with the 10 dribbles <laughs> or eight dribbles. Yeah. But do you think that's advantageous? I think it was initially, but now I think it, it helps him at ease because it's repetition and it's it's something you can get comfortable to. I would well, I would rather just have people like chant random like if I was if I was Giannis, I would prefer this over people chanting random things each game that I can't really prepare for. But with at least with this, if I come to the line, I'm like, okay, they're gonna count and I can dribble the ball to the count and it's I can get used to it. Yeah, it's kind of like getting used to a sound when you're sleeping. Yeah, yeah, like because yeah, it, if you hear the fan going in the beginning, it's 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 annoying, but then the fan becomes part of your routine. Yeah, exactly. Like I <laughs> like I live in a I live in a home that's not far from the airport, and when I first got uh got here, like the airport sound was like, oh, dang, that's kind of annoying. But when you like three or four months later, you hear you barely notice it. Like you, you don't even think about it anymore. You might hear it, but it's just kind of like, eh. so I yeah. I feel like the the crowd sound, if anything, I feel like, and I, I can't prove it statistically, but I feel like if it were me, it would help me because I now know what to expect, and I can build a routine around it. And yeah, and we saw a little bit during of it during the Brooklyn game where he was starting to make some of those free throws down the stretch. So, yeah, I, it's entertaining still. It's still fun, but it's yeah. – I don't think it helps. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, speaking as a dy- dynamicist, if I may, um, and, and instead of you counting sheep, you're listening to the, the takeoff. <laughs> I like that. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's funny how we, we adapt, right? But I would strongly argue that he's fueling a lot of bad things. They're the count, the the cadence. He's hearing them count. He's he's risking being called for a 10 second violation. Um, does that play into him? Did he slow his dribble down? Is he is he rocking? 
Is he resting while he's dribbling? Is he doing anything that would be uh, deemed not advantageous from my perspective? And I would argue very strongly that, yeah, there's he's introduced a lot of variability. And by the way, he I think he admitted publicly he hears them, obviously, as opposed to that one or two person not synchronized not in a cadence, yelling, whatever it might be that that single individual might be a choke, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, squeezing their neck up in the stands, which you hope you don't, you don't glance over to see. But as a dynamicist, improving somebody from the foul line, it's become a very complicated, hard to, hard to control routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking it a step further, gentlemen, for me to make 100 foul shot attempts at the foul line, and I remember this from, God, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, I did it one time. I think it took me nine minutes, eight minutes, something like that. Um, not rushing, just at my pace. I take one dribble, two dribbles. Boom. Now, he's taking eight. Is it? Was that the last count? Eight? whatever the number is. Yeah. How's he practicing? How much time does he have to practice that exact routine, that exact way? By the way, the bend of his, and I'm getting very, very particular, but this ought to give you a little insight where your listeners, a little insight into the things that you want to bring or introduce and the things you don't want to introduce that very, how, what degree bend is he on the knee? at the knee level when he's dribbling. What's his hand doing while he's dribbling, his shooting hand? If you watch that closely, it's it's demonstrating a movement that's not conducive to a a more controlled, directed shot. Yeah, and I guess that's why the shot looks different. Well, it it doesn't look different, but it looks like shaky. Shaky. When he shoots it at different points. Yeah. Especially from perimeter. And then he's he's at what space from the foul line is he standing? And this is such a little thing that that it seems, and I, you know, this is a broad statement, but this is kind of like a, a pet peeve of mine. And I didn't take advantage of it when I was in college. Uh I went to the line, I shot 20, I think 21 or 22 foul shots one game, but I never fully understood exactly where I should be positioned exactly, exactly where my hand should be, exactly what I should be targeting. Was what I was targeting the right target? Hold the, well, so he's standing, he's bending in various degrees, angles, distances, And all of that has to be replicated and controlled to become better. And I'm I would say that that he's made it a very difficult shot to practice to become even better at at becoming efficient at a higher clip. Now, is he that motivated to do that? I'd like to think so, but only he can answer that question. But those are variabilities that we have that exist universally 
from the far line. I, I mean, what if I were to say, and you two have, I mean, and I mean this sincerely, great basketball acumen. I can tell that through the conversation and the questioning. Uh, and I would say I, I've stopped because I, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh after moving from Indiana, Western PA and Heinz ketchup was there. And they used to have a commercial, 57 varieties. <laughs> so I stopped when I started studying ad nauseum, the movements, hence the, the term dynamicism uh, of shooting and, and, you know, universally shooters, basketball shooters. I, ident- I stopped counting at 57 variables, 57 variables that I found present in uh, not a Trey Young, a Sean Marion, a, a, an unusual shooting technique, Alonzo Ball technique. They, um, I would venture to say they've got more, obviously, more variables. But I stopped when I saw universally amongst basketball, higher level basketball players, these variables. That's a lot of variability. Now, with since I'm talking about John, is here. Uh, I would argue that he probably would have exceeded 60, 65 easily because of this introduction of other elements. Does that make sense? uh, Some sense to you? Uh, Yeah, I think it does. In in, in controlling one's movements to the degree where they become a little more refined or a little more um, serviceable to where they perform under any conditions. They, I mean, the, I'm practicing to do these. What's changing? The environment. But this isn't new. This isn't my first NBA game. This isn't my first tournament. This isn't my first pressure. This isn't my... Well, then shouldn't those movements be that reliable in your own mind, in your own psyche, to the degree where you know... Man, I've I've simplified this to the degree where I know, I know it works. And I'm not sp- speaking as a trainer. I'm speaking as a, a guy stepping up to the foul line. I'm excited. This is the moment I'm 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 hoping for. I'm hoping they foul me mm-hmm. to go to that foul line. That mentality. I want to show everybody how much work I put in. And I can't tell that to them, but man, can I demonstrate it? With every shot I, I drain, I can demonstrate that. And there's no denying what just happened. I can't do that with a move. Uh, I can't do that with a dribble. I can't do that with anything else except a shot attempt and the result. Indisputably, inarguably, universally understood. Success or fail. Mm. Success or fail. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting. Watching the games, and I am definitely going to look at uh, just look at the routine a little bit more than I usually have, and just kind of think about it because what you said definitely makes sense, and it kind of adds up to what his his uh, shooting issues have been. So yeah, I'm definitely going to pay close attention to that. Uh, close attention to that. I urge you both to do that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I do want to see what adjustments he makes in the off season to see what he does become a, a better shooter. I don't think he's ever going to be a great shooter, but I definitely think that uh, he can be 
at least decent. I think he can be okay, and I think he can do enough to make a defense respect the shot and, one and, day. And, and, yeah. and to your point, I would I would say he is predisposed to becoming a much better foul shooter and jump shooter. Well, we haven't talked about that. Jump shooting from him, uh, we have right? But, yeah, because of his size and his mass. So is uh, Joel Embiid in my backyard because of his size and his mass. They're stabilizers, or they can be. Now, I just used him as an example where he's destabilized a lot of things that he's doing at the foul line with those additional movements. But that, but that's that's why I say what I'm saying. But when you watch, watch the guys who step at the line, watch how their eyes don't go anywhere except on the hoop. And I'm not suggesting that's a good thing. I'm suggesting it's actually a bad thing. What? Yeah, they don't look to see where they're standing exactly. They sometimes don't even look, well, not some, they invariably don't look to see exactly where they're placing their hand on the ball to shoot that foul shot they're about to take. And, and how can you tell that from TV land? Watch their eye movement. Watch their head position. Look at the distance that you're going to see even from television land, from that right foot or left foot, if they're left-handed, uh, from, the, from the foul line. The space from the foul line. Especially if somebody back irons one. Do they move on the next shot where they stood? while they're at the foul line taking their second attempt? Or conversely, if they shorted it, did they, were they far enough behind the line that they could move up, thinking that, that, was the, that would be the, 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 the desirable movement? It's just, it, it'll, 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 may, it may open your eyes to some of the things that I study very closely because they all have an impact on the simplest, easiest shot in the game of basketball. Roger, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, this has been really great and detailed listening to you break down these mechanics and break down a lot of these. I feel like the mental part is important as well as the mechanics, but the mental part of it has definitely been interesting hearing you talk about it. And I definitely want to pay attention to how a lot of, especially some of our Bulls players who yeah. are going to develop as shooters going forward, uh, looking at Patrick Williams and Kobe White and seeing even seeing if Zach Levine has another level in him as a shooter. So we really appreciate you coming by and breaking all of this down for us. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you at on social media? And can you uh, also plug your website as well? Yes, thank you very much, guys. I've, I've genuinely enjoyed this. I yes. really have. It's been a wonderful conversation. I can be uh, contacted through the rogergalo.com website uh, at the Galo Method, um, Instagram, the Galo Method, uh, and then www.rogergalo123.com. Gmail. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. At, at gmail.com. Excuse me. Roger Galo, one, two, three at gmail.com. And I've, I've truly enjoyed this. You guys have uh, been wonderful. Thank you so much. Roger. Be following your podcast. 
we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Roger. Like I said, you you really broken this down in a way that is really great to understand. And yeah, I definitely encourage our listeners to check out your website uh, for a lot more on this. And uh, yeah, w- I'll be paying attention to what our shooters can do going forward as well. Salim, you have any additional thoughts? Yeah, just uh, thanks to Roger for joining us. It's like uh, to echo what Edward's saying. Um, this or uh, just a lot of great information and uh, very high level stuff that Roger goes breaks into definitely check out his website, uh, check out the work he's done uh, works. He's worked with some you know, notable people. So, uh, and he's himself has said, he's going to be working with someone that is in the WNBA and, yeah. and he's worked with people on the pro NBA side as well. So yeah, he, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. And I really appreciate you giving us a compliment that, you know, yeah. we, we know, uh, what we we're talking about as well. It, it feels nice sometimes to <laughs> get that ac- acknowledgement. Uh, so rep- I really appreciate that. But yeah, just looking forward to uh, as far as uh, today's game, and we also I'm also going to be looking into as far as seeing those little tendencies, those little techniques that yeah. uh, and improvements that could maybe be done, uh, especially for guys like uh, Middleton who. Middleton and, oh, yeah. and Holiday, who've been struggling mm-hmm. uh, yeah. these, to these first two games. So, yeah, they need to step up to really help Giannis and uh, to make this into a series. And I, I think they will, but it'll be interesting to see how they uh, how they uh, do in, in that regards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guys, I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Roger. You're welcome. Yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that that uh, wraps up today's Bulls Gold. As always, you can uh, check us out on social media. Follow us on Twitter at Bulls Gold. You can check out all of our past shows wherever you get your uh, podcast. You can check us out on twelve fifty two Sports Entertainment. Shout out to the listeners there, and you can also check us out here on Nothing But Net Radio every Tuesday nine eight Central. Shout out to the listeners who are checking us out on Dash Radio. Uh, just really appreciate all the support. And again, thank you to our Roger for uh, dropping by and uh, just giving us such a great breakdown of shooting mentally, the mechanics. Just a really phenomenal conversation for Roger. But that wraps up this week's Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next week, Bulls fans. <laughs>